broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico. I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. It's an emotional experience, in part. Uh, because many people are impressed by technique and style and what they consider skill, I suppose. That's fine. It's all very nice. There's a place for it. But it just really last on the list, you know? Uh, originality, creativity. That's, look it up in a dictionary. The definition of artist is a creative person who is totally honest and original. Bingo. If you want to appear to be an artist. You want to convince me that you're an artist. I don't care how detailed it is. I don't care whether it's less than perfect. If it's original, it comes from the heart, it makes a statement that appeals to people like me emotionally. I just love you to death. That was an interview with the mighty Frank Frazetta, an artist forged from both a rich life experience and the eternal mystery of a natural talent to connect and manifest his own vivid imagination onto canvas. His brush and pencil became the tools to translate a mirror of fantasy worlds that existed only in his mind. Giant monsters from galaxies far away, violent battles of scarred barbarians and muscular warriors selected from both invention and the ghosts of history and beautiful women solidified in the fantasies of all who gazed into the cosmic ocean that was Frank Frazetta's passionate mind's eye. His paintings not only inspired generations of those who enjoyed his universe, but also thousands of successful artists, filmmakers, musicians, and writers were forever changed by his work. When collaborating with the great movie maker Ralph Bakshi, on the 1983 animated epic Fire and Ice, his talented illustrators stood intimidated in Frank's formidable shadow. When Frank walked in the studio, the other artists absolutely froze. They freaked. Guys would call me at night, I can't draw. He's too, I mean, he was such an idol and a hero to them. I spent nights on the phone trying to tell them that Frank doesn't want Frank. Frank wants the best you can do. I mean, I was doing Lord of the Rings and Mick Jagger worked in the studio and the girls went crazy. They were in the bathroom coming up, fucking taking off the dresses. I don't know what they were doing, but Jagger was in the studio. Here are grown men fainting because Frank is in the studio. Tonight's guest is the granddaughter and keeper of the flame for the Frazetta legacy. And she's here to share her wonderful story with us. I'll return after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at off to the witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the off to the witch mini docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes, as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series off to the witch presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary Montauk Chronicles and follow us on social media. All links are available at linktree.com slash Garitano7, G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. In an age of myth and legend, the world trembles before the power of Necron, master of evil, ruler of ice. Against him stand Tigra, Princess of Firekeep, and captive of the Ice Demons, Larn. Tigra! Last of a mighty warrior tribe, and her only hope of escape. And Dark Wolf, mysterious Avenger, and sworn enemy of the Ice Tyrant. Their courage will be tested. The challenge must be met. 
the final battle between the armies of the cold and the keepers of the flame is about to begin. Fire and ice. From the visual imagination of Ralph Bakshi and the dazzling artistry of Frank Frazetta. A fantasy adventure from 20th Century Fox. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano. And tonight's guest, Sarah Frazetta, has dedicated her professional life to preserving the art, history, and legacy of her grandfather, the mighty Frank Frazetta. She's the co-owner of Frazetta Girls, and she's here tonight to discuss her life and unique perspective growing up with Frank. So here's my interview with Sarah Frazetta. I was born October 11th, 1988 in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, and um, the first week of my life, I was in a little bassinet sitting next to my grandmother in the Frazetta Art Museum, which was located in downtown East Stroudsburg. So from my earliest memory of as a child, I was with my grandparents and even in my subconscious years before I could even take in where I was. I was surrounded by artwork and, and immersed into the world of Rosetta. You're around your grandfather, you're around your parents, you're around this family that is at its nucleus is this incredible legendary artist at the level of any great painter throughout history. And not just my opinion, as you know. And did you realize that as a little girl or you just saw it as grandpa? The craziest thing is I just saw it as grandpa until I saw him as grandpa until he passed away. I mean, I, I understood that he was one of the most incredible, well, the most incredible people I've had ever been around. And he was so incredibly talented. I saw all of his artworks, but it was, I think, really because he just played the role as grandfather so well, I didn't have time to think about or analyze like what kind of impact he had made on the world. Um, but a, a funny story is I really, I, I was really born with the intent on being my grandparents' baby. Um, my, my grandfather was in his sixties and that as was my grandmother. And I was the first grandchild of 11. My mother had just married my father and she was very young she was 24 years old and she was not really looking to have babies just yet. But my grandparents, came to her and said, we are so bored and we really want a baby in the family. Could you please have a baby? So I was that baby. I was born for my grandparents. And as much as, of course, my, my mother and father were caring for me and, and raising me, it was, it was really my grandparents who, who gave me all of the formative subconscious years of, of just kind of taking this, this me, this child and, and forming memories and ideas. And it's, again, something I didn't realize how much it affected me as an adult until many years later. But my grandparents just, I, I was there, I was their little love of their life. And that's why one of the reasons I was in the bassinet, my grandma just took me in and said, I'm going to care for this baby. Um, and, and it was, I'll get into it, but I mean, it was just a really, really magical childhood because of them. Okay. And that's, that's interesting. So, all right. When I was a kid, I was around a lot of movies and stuff because my parents owned a video store. So I never associated any genre out, even though it scared me, right. Uh, with anything that would repel me. So when you're fixated on your grandfather's paintings and some of them are pretty creepy, did you always associate that love with those paintings? I mean, I know maybe you didn't realize it as a kid, but on a subconscious level, were you ever really afraid of any of them? I was really afraid of the one titled Downward to Earth. It was his abstract painting that he won an award for. And it had this um, this this very, it's like, like I said, an abstract style, but um, of unworldly creatures um, that I just didn't know what 
they stood for. I didn't really see them as dark or, or anything. They just made me feel weird. And it was this painting that was hanging in his hallway. But my, my grandparents, I think, I think one of the reasons I was never too afraid of his artwork was because we, when we were kids, like my grandma very casually talked to us about like spirit world and ghosts and we were told and felt her house, my grandparents' house was very haunted. So I think our main, my main concern personally was like the, the spirit world. And I had always, I was always just very um, on, on the edge of my seat in their house. And it was because, you know, my grandma, she full heartedly believed in, in these apparitions and would tell me about uh, stories and, and sightings and said she had psychic abilities. So I, I was I was very focused on that. Now, my grandpa didn't indulge on that as much. Um, he acknowledged it and said, you know, he felt presences in the in, in the home. Um, and, and for a little backstory, so this this home that they bought, this was on a um, 60, 60 acre property. And there had been a suicide in this house. And it was also a, a property of like an Indian burial ground. So there was just a lot of energy there. And my grandpa did acknowledge that. But my grandma really got deep into into like demons and spirits. So that was that was something I think that just really took um, the emphasis on again me as a child focusing on that. But like one like I so I, I really I really mostly focused on like the beautiful parts of my grandpa's art. Like I remember, um, for instance, Egyptian Queen. Um, I, I looked at Egyptian Queen, but I didn't I didn't notice her as much as I would just stare at the marble column. And I would just wonder, um, again, I, I wasn't, I didn't have an understanding of how art was even done. Of course, I would draw as a child, but I, I just never really thought about it too deeply. But I would, I'd be just mesmerized by um, how it looked. And again, I didn't really put it to, to my, to being my grandpa, the one that, that did that work and or care to really ask him how he did that. Um, but my, my grandpa, my grandpa and I, Instead of really, we don't really go into his artwork too much. He didn't, he didn't really go into his artwork too much with anyone, even and people that would come to the museum, fans, other artists. Um, he really liked to talk about films and music and um, just nature and, and, and all of the beautiful little details in nature. So when I was a child, my grandfather and I would spend countless hours out on the property, the 60 acres I talked about. And he would just show me all of the little details of like the moss and how the light would hit the certain, like the trees and how, how it would make it look and, and the different times of day and what you could see in the beauty of, of going out at different times of the day, the little bugs, we would pull my wagon and just, he would, he would take pictures and photography was like the biggest thing to him. And, and I mean, it was my, my memory is always just grandpa having the camera in my face. I've thousands of pictures from my grandfather and I would just say no more pictures. And, you know, of course I was his, I was his little baby. So there was, there was going to be a lot of pictures, but um, you know, so, so other than spending time in nature, we, we would just take in, he, he didn't, he was, he loved film. I wouldn't say he was a film connoisseur. He had um, a very, a very, um, uh, a few films that he was just obsessed with and that he'd watch over and over and over again. And one of the earliest films I watched with him was Night of the Hunter. So Night of the Hunter is very film noir. Um, it's Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum was his his favorite actor, and and he just he loved him. But he would he would just sit there with me, and I still watch movies this way. We would sit and watch it, but we would have a commentary throughout the whole film. And he would look at me and say, "See how that part is? You see the music and how they panned out like that, and and the mood of it." And and we would just dissect the film the entire time. And, um, of course there was fire and ice and we, he was, he was so proud of his, his movie that he made with Ralph Bakshi. I think I watched that when I was like four years old. <laughs> so I, I just went right into the Frazetta world and, and, you know, that's molded me in definitely a certain way when it comes to adult content nudity of how I, I think I have more of like a European mindset when it comes to all of that, just because of how I was raised. Um, but my grand, uh, the, my grandfather was, you know, of course, he wanted to go into his experiences and what it was like in California, and 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 uh, he always he always noted the music though. That was one thing I have to say. 
I, when I, when I try to evaluate like my grandfather's taste in movies and, and, and it was, it was music was a huge part of it. If he didn't like that soundtrack, eh, he didn't want anything to do with it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to let you get another question in because I could just keep going on and on. About no, this. I, it, it's blowing my mind because again, now I'm learning and, and what I suspected just by looking at it and the things I know about your grandfather is what he was doing was laying the same foundation that he could only understand to give to you by showing you what impressed him and what informs him to put those beautiful things onto the canvas because there's just one line you can never cross. You can never be him in particular, but he's trying to say to you, look at these things that are driving me crazy, in other words, right? The movies, the texture in the movies, the transitions, um, nature, the moss, the bugs moving. And then he solidifies that by taking pictures of all of these things. That was his foundation. That was his real true technique that could, I think the only one that could be translated if someone wants to know, oh, how did you do that? It's like, this is how I, I, I don't know how to explain it. And I think he was teaching you. Do you feel the same way? Oh my God. Yes. I mean, and that's what I'm, after all these years and, and thinking about it. And of course, I, like I said, I only really could I'm still, I'm still trying to grasp it really. Like I'm, I'm 34 years old and I lost him. I lost him 12 years ago. And of course, you know, I had, I had a little bit of an absence with it when I was a teenager because then I became boy crazy, which, you know, he was the same way he was girl crazy. So I think he understood that. <laughs> um, but in terms of, of really trying to ingrain in me, the things that inspired him, he was, so adamant about it, yet so soft about it. And inherently, I just, I loved, I, and it wasn't because I was like, oh, my grandpa's so amazing. I love grandpa. So I want to love the same things as him. No, I really, truly did. And I think, you know, when you, you meet certain people and you want to get to know them and you're trying to connect on music or movies and it's just not resonating with you because it's like a vibration and you're just your taste. Um, you realize how important it is and how rare it is to find people that feel that same way about a certain song and that, that it can, it can just like penetrate your soul. And you look at the other person and go, I feel this, I feel this with you. I'm experiencing this with you. Like I get you. And that's what my grandfather and I had, like, when I watched that 1933 King Kong film with him hundreds and hundreds of times, like I saw what he saw. And when I rewatch it now, I see so much of the influence in his artwork. And I'm like, okay, this is, again, I, I think it's great. You can want to see all the films. You can want to hear all the music. But when you have a certain amount of art, like in it, it's like, or like 10, 10 films that just deeply impact you and make you feel a certain way and you just keep watching them and watching them and watching them and then your intention is to put it into your art and make it into make it into your voice and and recreate it like that's that's the point of art so I really respect my grandpa for having that hyper focus and I, I kind of I do see the the same tendencies in myself like there's the song that I listen to it's called the perfect girl and I I think I've streamed it like it's a little obsessive I, I don't even know how many times I've streamed it like an obsessive amount of streams and but it's it's the song I can listen to when I'm drawing it's the song I can listen to when I just want to cry and feel and and then there's movies that I'm just I can watch them thousands of times and I never get tired of them so I definitely have a lot of those those tendencies and you know, another, another thing like my grandpa, besides, like I said, we, we love music and listen to that together. It was, um, a lot of classical compositions. So my grandpa only painted two classical music. He, he loved Frank Sinatra, but Frank Sinatra was more if he was developing his film in his dark room or just hanging out or, you know, drinking coffee and eating a cannoli. But he, he loved Stravinsky and he loved the movie Fantasia mostly because of Stravinsky's composition and and Stravinsky, when I listened to what his music, I mean, I my grandfather said that I used to come in his studio and I would just like start waving my hands and 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 or and and, and like orchestrating, and he couldn't believe it. He couldn't get over it. And I, I think what that meant for him is he felt the same way I feel all these years later. He was like, she gets it, she gets it, she feels it, she feels the music so deeply. And and he and he loved me for it because I mean everything after all is a mirror of ourselves. And and you know, I was one of those people in his life. I mean he he kept the circle very small. My grandfather was um you know he grew up in Brooklyn 
And he had a pretty close knit of friends that would help him and, and they had gotten and gotten to comics together. They were called the Flegel gang. It was like Al Williamson, Roy Crankle. And a lot of them became like his mentors over the years, but ultimately he was, he was a lone wolf. I mean, he had my grandmother who was his, his wife, his partner, um, his, his friend, but my grandfather just, he was such an emotional person that I think for him, his biggest struggle was just finding people that could understand his emotions. And I, I, I don't think he ever was truly successful at finding that, or he didn't think he was at least. And that's, and, and, and that's why I think his artwork, I mean, aside from the, the technique and just the, um, just, I mean, the beautiful like worlds that he created, it's just, he was so emotional that that's, that was his outlet. And I think that's why his art will just transcend time as, as long as humanity's here, people will love it and they'll, they'll not maybe know why they love it so much. But for me, it's because it's so emotional. It's just, it's, it's my grandfather and it comes out through the choice of the colors. It comes out through the facial expressions. It comes out through the trees. It comes out through the lighting. I mean, my, my grandfather was truly one of the most emotional human beings and and it shows in his art it does in everything he's done that i've looked at now i wonder i have a few questions regarding that so first one and some people might not consider this but i have a feeling you will do you see that emotion in yourself and your grandfather as more of a hyper sensitivity that might go beyond the five senses a little bit and that that it's subtle that it informs everything and it's powerful and you can recognize things in nature and life whether it be the villain sitting next to you in the boardroom or just how beautiful moss is growing on a tree whereas some people might not recognize these things do you think it's it's a hypersensitivity in that sense it's it's a hundred percent a hypersensitivity and Again, I, I think, I mean, it's, it's a, not to, to compare, but I do think it's, it's rare to come by. I mean, I, I was walking in a park recently and I was noticing just all of, all of the little things, the lighting, the, um, the, the, the birds, the, the, uh, just not, I, I focus on people, of course, um, that can, that can be overwhelming a bit, but I mean, there's just so much, I, I, I go out and I look at the little lizards and how they're interacting. I'm, I'm down in Southwest Florida. So there's like, there's so many different kinds of bugs and animals and creatures. And, and if I'm on a walk, I would, I would, I, I of course, I want to, I want to have a conversation, but if I notice something, if there, if something falls a certain way or, the lizard comes out and starts doing a certain movement. I'm going to notice it and I'm going to talk about it. And I'm going to want to dissect it. And my grandpa, again, he was the same way. And this is a really odd story that I heard the other day. We um, were at the, this little comic shop for a free comic book day. And this gentleman came in and told me his friend had gone to see my grandfather in Boca Grande when he had his museum open there in 1995. And his friend really wanted to talk about art with my grandfather and, and deep dive into it. And my grandpa happened to be eating crab claws. And he said that he was holding the crab claws up into the light and, and looking at the details of how God made crab claws and, and how incredible each little detail on the claw is. And, and he just went on and on about crab claws for like 20 minutes. And the guy was like, I don't really want to talk about crab claws. And I just, I had such a, I just smiled and I said, that's my grandfather. He, he wanted to hyper-focus on things and the smallest things that maybe don't mean anything to anyone else, but they need He was answering his question. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I didn't even realize it. Didn't even realize it. And so many people wouldn't. They'd be like, oh, this person's a little insane, but not to me, uh, not to you. Not to people that are on that level of hypersensitivity. He was... His intelligence was above that man who was asking the question. He was saying, I'm going to give you something. This is the best gift I can give you. And the guy's not even going to see it. And I think, okay, so you had mentioned earlier Miriam Cooper's you know, classic King Kong, the, the, the one and only, right? The difference between that and anything that came after, and here's the problem, even Peter Jackson's, which I love parts of, a lot of those movies are made by committee. And it seems like 
uh, Frank and every great artist and just people who are in tune appreciate things that were made from that emotion that you were talking about earlier, from that recognition of the things we're talking about, as opposed to a whole group of people that have to clear it with each other, which I think is like today's modern, no offense to anybody, but modern's Marvel and DC movies are just like, you know, there's a hundred people making the final decision together. Whereas that extracts and stops and inhibits the emotion and the honesty that you're talking about. Do you agree? I'm, I really, again, no offense to anyone. I cannot get through a Marvel movie for the most part. I mean, with the exception of the original Spider-Man back in 2002. Um, but I, I do agree with you. It's, it's the too many minds coming together and thinking about the end goal of how many people can we attract with this? Um, how much money can we make? And it's taking out the heart and the story. And that's just something um, that that I have been struggling with, um, even with Frazetta Girls trying to expand in, in, in stories of, of uh, based on my grandfather's artwork. It's trying to get the people that are working with us to understand how my grandpa felt about storytelling and art and how it needs to be about always number one the, the 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 message like what are we trying to convey here and it's it's of course it's becoming um, harder to find that because again it's it's everyone's we you know we live in the society that we live in and oh well we got to make money and this and that but it's like no 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 that's there's still it's still possible to create things that you, you, it's not vanity. It's creating it so people can escape and feel. And we're getting there now. We're now we're starting to build teams that we can we can rely on who have that same understanding and vision. It's really, I think, just having that faith that you'll attract it, and it has to be in it has to be in um, in God's timing, not our own timing. Sometimes um, you do have to work, keep working and working and and believing in in everything, but like also you can't you can't really force things. Um, they do have to fall in place. That's been my lesson. Um, but, but absolutely true. It's, it's when you, when you, again, my, my grandfather, that was how he was with art. I mean, if, if an art director said, you know what, Frank, I don't, I don't really like this, change it, or you have to do it a certain way. He didn't take the job then. He didn't want it. He was like, well, then if I can't put myself into this, I don't want to do it. And, I, I think that's important for, for all artists to understand that it's like if you put your truth into it, it's inevitably going to resonate with, with someone else. It might not, it's probably not going to resonate with like a huge audience, but that's okay. It's, it's about getting the truth. See, and it's, and, and it's excruciating, but also promising. There's a duality to what you're talking about. See, please stick to your guns, number one, on what you believe in always like your grandfather did and like a lot of us do. The thing is, you've got that one voice informing a room, asserting themselves as if they know everything. And the thing that they didn't do is that they didn't look back in history and look back at the things that drove the world, whether it be some of those classical pieces you're talking about or those early Disney films like Fantasia, which also blew my mind, that very particular Stravinsky moment in Rite of Spring. And all of these things are all coming from the place that you appreciate and that I appreciate, not the other one, you know? And the thing is, so we, we I have a good feeling that we're on the precipice of going into another, if you want to call it a golden age of art, music, movies, because that's what people want right now. They're going to reject that committee. It's happened many times in history. That's what I'm getting at. It's like these people in the boardroom don't know what they're talking about. They don't. They're just trying to figure it out and whatever. So you're in a place now where the playing field is level. People can self-publish in a lot of different ways right now. They just have to have the diligence and drive to do it. And they should stick to it and not ape what they're seeing that they're told is the popular thing. And that's just, I mean, I'm sticking to it. I've turned down money to stick to this credo. But how do you feel about it ultimately? Well, good for you. I mean, first of all, that's that's great because, and I 
100% agree. I'm I'm really excited about the future with creativity. And I do believe we are going to enter the golden age. It's exactly what you said. I mean, civilizations, industries, they rise, they fall. We're, we're, um, we're, we're seeing it all fall now. We're seeing it crumble. And um, it's for the, it's for the best. You have to, you have to have the death for rebirth. And that's part of the cycle. That's just life. And sometimes I think as humans, we arrogantly forget that we're also part of nature and everything is going to reflect in cycles. And I do think it's so amazing now with, um, you know, there's, there's, there's an abundance of technology and even like with, with AI now coming out, um, what's going to, what it's going to do is like these pieces of art that are traditional, it's going to raise the value even more. It's going to raise the value more of if you go more into like having like just any, any tangible good, anything crafted, um, anything that's just, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I have to say I'm not against AI because I think it can give, um, people the ability to get out what's in their head and it can be a good starting point and it's also not going to go anywhere. It's like how people felt about the iPhone when it came out. They're like, ah, oh, no, I'm keeping, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to go into this. I was a very big proponent of social media back, I don't know, I was a MySpace user. I was on AIM and I was always like an early adopter with, uh, with, with the technology. And I remember my first job in post-production, I was, I was telling um, the gentleman who I worked with that he needed to utilize social media. And he goes, oh, no, no, Sarah. And this was back, I think, 2012. He goes, Sarah, social media is going to die out. This is just a fad. And I go, mm, you're wrong. And I was very, very sure of that. I'm like, you're, you're wrong. This isn't going to go anywhere. It will evolve um, and it will it will maybe crash and then come back again. But this is this is just what's happening. So I see the same thing with, with AI. Um, I think instead of resisting it, I think it's like important to of course, regulations might come and maybe it's for the best, especially with people with IPs and everything else. And, you know, of course, Frank Frazetta is one of those IPs that definitely needs to be protected. Um, but the ability to have our thoughts um, come out in an easier way and the ability with what the internet gives us in creating our own content. And, and you know, we don't, as the actors, you don't have to go and, and, and submit your reel to everyone. Now you can make your own content and post it online. And, and you can, you can, you can just, we have the ability to be the most creative we've ever been and share it with the world. And that's crazy. We're very, very, we're very fortunate. Um, so I think it's just a matter of like perspective with all of this. And, um, and yeah, and, and again, it comes back to like what you just said. It's, we will get as individuals get to share our our voices without the big corporations and and maybe not to say they're all like this but i've talked to many people who are incredible writers and incredible artists and they've gone to the top levels of the exec rooms and and it's like all these executives they're blocked creatives they're people who wanted to get into the creative field they didn't, they got into the money field and they sit there and act like they know best. They know the authority. They, they're the authority. They know what is, what is creative and what is not. And they get to have the final call and, you know, they're using, they're all, they're coming from a place of ego. And that's where, that's the, the beautiful thing of what we can kind of transcend past now, which is, I think it will be really good for the future. We'll be right back. There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well, all these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it? What would you tell them? You I tell did them? approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. 
And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. Ah, a little lad just staring at my fingers. Would you like me to tell you the little story of right hand, left hand? The story of good and evil? H-A-T-E. It was with this left hand that old brother Cain struck the blow that laid his brother low. L-O-V-E. You see, these fingers, dear hearts, these fingers has veins that run straight to the soul of man. The right hand, friends, the hand of love. Now watch and I'll show you the story of life. These fingers, dear hearts, is always a warring and a tugging, one against the other. Now watch them. Old brother left hand. Left hand hates a fighting, and it looks like love's a goner. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hot dog loves a winning. Yes, sirree. It's love that won, and old left hand hate is down for the count. exactly what I wanted to talk about. I'm so glad you said all of that. And I have a few questions now uh, because I want to hear your opinion about all of it. But setting setting this theme forward in regard to AI, I have a few thoughts on it. Now, I did a little experiment the other night with AI and I wanted it to paint a Frazetta. Okay. It came up with like 16 different wannabes that never existed, but they were interesting. They weren't your grandfather's work, but they were interesting. It, it's interesting to th see how the computer thinks it should paint one. Now, I agree that it can do several things. It can inspire artists who are using their brain in their hand and the pencil or paintbrush to go further, to push them a little bit, a shot in the arm saying, hey, this computer's doing this. What are you going to do? The other thing is, I don't think we've seen the extent of it yet. And with things that are forthcoming, that it's inevitable that people are going to have something in their body eventually, it might stimulate, and this might completely render what we're seeing right now with the AI art programs, it might render them obsolete because what might happen is that, and this is a little science fiction right now, but it won't be soon, is that it might stimulate the part of your brain that your grandfather naturally, innately had, and it, it could do it for you. Then you're using an ability that's being sparked by a chip, but it's yours. The imagination is yours, and you're going to use your hand and your mind to create the art. And I think that would supersede any AI, AI program because now you have that ability, and why would you want to type in a few words when you can draw it yourself? And I think that's eventually where we're going to go. That is where we're going to go. It will... It will it will essentially crack the code. It will say, okay, I mean, with we, our brains are computers and it's like, I see it more and more when I'm, 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 I'm a little bit of like with the hyper, hyper awareness, hypersensitivity. And it's also, I can get a little obsessive with thoughts. And as, as I try to crack the code with my brain, I'm like, but what if I see my hyper focus, I see my ability to hyper focus on a, a thought that's not serving me whatsoever. What if I could have the, the upper, the, the edge of being able to harness everything, all of those subconscious memories, the conscious memories of or conscious like thoughts and feelings I'm having and, and then have the ability to have something help me get it out. And so I don't, I don't look at it ever as like, oh, this is too scary or like too sci-fi. It's like, no, this is just, 
we we don't we don't know what we are. I mean, I I have a I have a strong faith and 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 a, a, a spirituality about me, and but I but I also am very open to like science and understanding biology and 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 understanding that we don't know what the hell's going on. We don't know where we are. We don't know what the universe is, and we need to be open to to exploring these kind of avenues of just understanding like as as to understand what humans are to understand what this world is so i think um again it's just that this that's my personal feeling i know um there's it's like a huge controversy right now and of of just of how adva- how quickly technology is advancing sure could it get really terrible and then the world as we know it ends yeah but it, it will start again it, that's okay and it's like i think it's about not having this like strong strong ego and of course we need our ego to survive that's how we got here but me personally i'm i'm i guess that's a, that spiritual component i have where i'm like eh, well we'll we'll start it we'll start new again that's that's fine it's fine i'm not afraid that's all right that's another interesting point i wanted to get to so do you feel uh science fiction writers artists like your grandfather um filmmakers have they all prophesized what's to come. And again, your truth is good enough. We don't know the answers like you were just saying, we don't know. But do you think that perhaps all of that science fiction material and art from the last 100 plus years may have been prophesizing all of this because some of it is um, so accurate that you it's almost like you can't deny it? Definitely. I believe people can I, and I don't know how these downloads work, but I believe people can get downloads and, and just, I mean, my grandfather had said many times, he's like, I don't know where all this comes from. He goes, I, I believe it was a God given gift. I, I, cause I cannot explain it. He goes, I picked up a pencil when I was three years old and I just saw things in my mind and, and the way I would become inspired by like panels by Hal Foster and, and all the artists, Jay Allen, St. John that came before him. I mean, they just, it was so impactful to him, but he, but, 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 and of course you always have the people that come before you, but as a whole in his, with his career, he couldn't explain how he got these visions and, and he just attributed it to God. And, and he even said, maybe I had past lives. He's like, I don't know. He goes, but these are downloads. These are things that I can't explain. They're not explainable. And I, I believe that's not just for Frank Rosetta. It's for many of the visionaries, like you said, uh, Mobius. I mean, they're, these people, they, it's, it's, it's amazing. And it's, it's beyond us. Sure. And there's something so unique about each of them. That's, it's so weird. Okay. So now we're on multidimensional, uh, conversations that they can get a little grand, but I believe that's what's happening. And so when Frank was painting or when any great artist is painting, you're channeling and you might be peeking into other dimensions. We call it imagination, but what is imagination? We're not exactly sure what it is. What are dreams? And so you're reflecting off of things you're seeing, you're reflecting off of things you're feeling, and all at once that goes onto the canvas. And I have a feeling that AI, that's the one thing it can't imitate. Like I was looking at the AI Frazettas and they're interesting, they're cool to look at, but there's something missing. And it's that human element and that soul element that just isn't there. And I don't think can be replicated. Um, you know, how do you feel about, um, I guess my question is, how do you feel about the process of making art? Because I'm sure you make art yourself and it's like, you know, what is that? What is that feeling when you're making something? When you're connected to the canvas, or you're connected to the tools, and you're there? Can you describe that a little bit? For me, it's it's a feeling when I actually can make something or write something that I feel is genuine. I just get really filled with um, gratitude, and like this, like I kind of said, like before, like. If I had a chip in my head to take out all of the things that I am and and put them into another and into a form of art, like wouldn't that be great? But sometimes those moments happen, and when it, when it happens, it's it's the most um, it's like it's adrenaline producing. It's it's um, calming at the same time. It's like the paradox of life. I think I feel, and and I know my grandpa felt that way too. I mean, a lot of the times. He said that when he was creating, 
Um, at first it would be a feeling of anxiety, like dread would set in when he would, when he would go to paint, um, like a, like silver warrior and death dealer one, for instance, those were painted back to back for him. And he said, when he went to create them, the first feeling is like, oh God, this, <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Um, and then as he's, as he's, as he's in that moment and he's going through it and it's coming together, it's just like this, like hugely uplifting, like, like I said, like dopamine is coming out and he's just feeling so good. And then at the end, it's like the ultimate rush, but then also like a calmness come, came, would come over him. He said, where he would just feel like, Oh my God, I did it. And he would look and be like, all right, I am who I think I am. Um, but also, you know, he'd have moments of a little bit of, I wouldn't say, I, I mean, he can be, he could be arrogant and he could get away with it, but he was he was not arrogant, but he would have those moments where he was like, wow, Frank, you're pretty good. But then of course, what would come over him is like, this is something beyond me. I don't even know how I'm doing it. This is pretty, this is pretty incredible. Um, now I'm not a master in any form. I have, um, I have a lot of different interests. Like I, I would just say I'm a, a creative. Um, I like to act. I like to draw. I like to dance. Um, I like to, I like to dabble. I like to write. I like to dabble in a lot of different creative things and like with Frazetta girls, like product development and marketing. And so it's kind of all over the place. And it, it's just like at, at times though, I'll have those moments in each of those things where I'm like, that was it. That was and I, and again, I'm going to bring it back to that like spiritual thing. It's like connecting to source, connecting to something higher than me. That's the moment of, or just like letting go, which could be again, connecting to source and feeling it kind of just like being in a flow state and where you're like, you're not like in your head, you're just kind of flowing through it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's the feeling. It's so mysterious that it's very difficult to articulate, but the stories you told earlier, of where he would hold up the crab claw or take you outside and he was teaching you those things and and the probably the greatest possible way of showing you how to connect and now you understand that and i think what's lacking in a you know i'm a art film school grad and it's like i think that's what's missing even in the greatest of techniques even when they're showing your grandfather's work and um you know, when people try to explain how you do this, I think the classes should be more like your grandfather's response. It should be like, okay, well, I'm going to bring you close into the texture and the shine and how light hits a puddle just after rain, how the steam's coming up from the ground, how a crab's claw looks under light or under shadow, watching Night of the Hunter, you know, looking at the textures in King Kong those things are kind of missing, you know, from school. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, look at it and then tell, it's like assess it and like, tell us how you feel. And like, how does that make you feel when you're looking at something like a scene in the night of the hunter? Um, it's when, when, when the wife, um, Robert Mitchum, he, he murders the wife and she's underwater and she's in the car and the way the, again, there was a reflection coming from above with the light and, and her hair was just, was just flowing in the water. And it was just like this, it's just gave you, it's like, it gave you this eerie, eerie feeling. Um, it was peaceful and it was eerie. It made you, it made the viewer, like at least my grandfather and I, it made us feel conflicted. And that's, again, it's, it goes back to exploring like what makes every one of us are, we're unique. And, and some of us, you know, some people love Marvel movies and it makes them feel amazing and happy. And so it all has to be an individual response to the stimulation, but also, I mean, maybe some of, maybe some people just don't, they're just not, again, they're not tapping into it because they're so into the technicality of everything and the, and, and, and maybe focusing too much on like, again, like a, a, a Frank Frazetta. And like you said, like, you're, yeah, if you're generating AI and everything, it's not a, a Frank Frazetta image. You're not, um, you're not, you're not getting that. You're not going to get that soul. It's not going to, it's not going to come through. Um, so and, it, and that brings me back to, again, why AI is a tool. It is not the, it is not the answer. Um, it is, it's, it's like we, that, that, that does not, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think that personally that it will ever have like true consciousness because I don't, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it goes back to uh, finding, 
I, I think for all artists, musicians and, and um, filmmakers and, and visual artists, actors, like finding your truth, really being able to get down to like who you are, what your story is um, and, and feeling and, and being okay with just being completely vulnerable. And that is when people are going to feel it connect to it and be like, this, 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 this triggers me. I don't know why. And now I want to explore my feelings into this, into this world of creativity. What you're explaining is what I, I like to call over and over again. And I've heard this term, I heard it a long time ago. Um, and it's called the purest wells. Uh, so looking at those elements and going back or just going into nature, going into feelings. Those are the purest wells to draw from that amorphous energy that you eventually you're going to put into your own work and expression. And your grandfather's work, I guess, in regard to fantasy, horror, you know, sci-fi art are the purest wells, one of them. And um, he informed so many filmmakers and musicians and artists, you know, everybody from George Lucas to, uh, you know, Danzig to Robert Rodriguez. I'm sure you've come across a lot of these people, you know, how did they express to you in words what their feelings were? And was it similar to the things we've been talking about? Yeah. I mean, Robert Rodriguez was one of the, the f- first filmmakers that I talked to and it was really a beautiful thing to watch Robert talk about how much my grandfather impacted him because what I saw was Robert Rodriguez become a little boy and he just lit up and would talk about the triangular composition and, and, and the action and, and the faces and the expressions. And he was like, and, and it just, it just, for me, for him personally, it just brought him into this like other world and gave him hope that, he could then he could also use his imagination to to build worlds and and movies and 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 use that um, use that composition and, and like like for film like Frazetta did in visual arts. So I think that like for like I said like that was that was my biggest takeaway of Robert and and most and most people that were again inspired by by Frazetta is like just that seeing that like inner child really start sparkling out. And I'm like, there it is. That's the, that's the feeling. Um, and of course, like George Lucas. Yeah. I, I never had a conversation with George personally. I, I hope to one day have a conversation with him. Maybe, maybe when he opens his um, museum out in California, that will be, that will happen. Um, but I know like George seeing my grandpa's famous funny works. I mean, that was, that's what bridged his imagination to starting Star Wars, the Star Wars franchise. And I mean, I don't even, I, I can't really imagine the world right now, how it would be without Star Wars. So again, it's like how, how important it is to, to, to recognize and, and become like hyper hyper-focused on something that makes you feel so then you can take that art and, and then put yourself into it and make something new and keep inspiring people on such an honest level. Yeah. I, you know, again, it's, um, you know, this is an audible audio only, uh, podcast and it's, it's a challenge, but a beautiful challenge to try and express how <laughs> the visual power of a work you know, I'm, a lot of people that are listening have already seen them and could be flipping through a book. But the question I have is, you know, when I, all right, right now I'm looking at one. I'm looking at uh, Dracula uh, fighting the Wolfman. Okay, and when I'm looking at this painting, I'm hearing things. I'm hearing the bats. I feel the sunset. I, you know, you're hearing the sounds in this fight. Like, what does it sound like? And if you sit and meditate on a painting, a lot of people unfortunately don't have never done this. I just sat there and let yourself absorb and let the painting absorb you. At that moment, you're in it. And I think the people who love the work are the ones that can really connect with a painting like that, not just look at the aesthetic value on the surface, but really dive in for a moment and just stare at it. Now, when you were a girl, did you do that? Did When you looked at the walls and you saw the paintings, were you lost in them? I never really got lost in them until, and like I said, after he passed away, then I started really, it's been a process. It's been a process to, I mean, this taking, 
taking the step into preserving my grandfather's legacy. I mean, it's, it hasn't been um, an easy road, but it's been a very rewarding road. Um, and, and it's, it's been um, just, like I said, a, a journey to diving deeply into his art, which then helped me dive deep into other art and, and then into myself. And um, I, I mean, I think like I might've, again, it's, I, I would, I would look at it, but I, I don't know. I, I think my grandpa, honestly, he was just such a fascinating person. When you're around Frank Frazetta, you're, you're focusing on Frank Frazetta and he was just that person. I mean, he, every time I would come, I mean, I was, I, I was in Pennsylvania from um, when I was born till when I was six years old. And then we moved down to Florida. My grandpa had a stroke in 96 and he moved back to Pennsylvania and then I would come up for half the year until I was around 10 years old. And, and then it would just be summers. But I kid you not, my grandfather, every time he saw me, it was like the first time he had seen me in years. And it would just be like the celebration and a person that was like so present, which again is another rarity. My grandfather was incredibly in the moment, like focused on the person he was with. Um, and, and with me, it was like, a, again, a hyper focus. So we... I, he was just, he was, he was, he was stealing the show always. And, and he would just, and again, he was like focused on me where it was like, it was, it was my time to perform. It was my time to tell him stories and, and, and share things with him. Um, so it's like now because he's gone now, I am hyper, I'm hyper focused on the world that he painted. So I can feel that closeness with him still. And you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I, it's been, I started for Zeta Girls loosely in 2013, a couple of years after he passed away. And then I really dedicated like everything to it, um, my life to it, starting in like 2018. Um, I, I could like finally quit other jobs and be like, okay, I'm going to really focus on building this company now. And, and, you know, when I, when I, the more I understand about like visual arts and, and like how again, like the, like you said before, the movement of like Dracula meets Wolfman or really any of his paintings, he always, he always wanted to entertain. And he was like, what's going to be like the peak action of the scene? What happened before? What happens after? He was a storyteller. So now I find myself, of course, like in my mid thirties, like now I will stare at the paintings and the, uh, again, there's, there's like an art, artist, like there's plenty of contemporary artists who I love and they do this um, but when my grandfather, the unique part of him was the, the ability to really, like you said, captivate the viewer. And, and I mean, every time I look at his artwork, I never get bored of it. It's like seeing it, like how he saw me coming around the corner into a studio. That's how I full circle moment, see his art. I never, it's like, I'm seeing it for the first time again. I never, ever, ever tire of looking at his art ever. So amazing. Yeah. There's something new every time it's, you know. You spend a lifetime going through all of it. Um, I, um, you know, I'm grateful for you, your grandfather, everything he's left in this world. And it taught so many people and it's in, inspiring so many other artists to create and go deeper. And I think this conversation is important because it's the lesser focused thing. And there's so many great things about his life and his story, you know, everything from, wasn't he a professional baseball player? Um, he, you know, yeah, he, early well, he, on? he, he could have been, he, he chose art, um, because I mean, he, so he was just an incredible, he was an athlete his whole life. I mean, until he had his strokes, he was, he loved golf, he loved bowling. I mean, he, he could do anything. He was just in, he was truly, truly incredible, um, with his physicality and, uh, coordination and, you know, that was what, that's definitely a part of him that was, again, in his artwork is like, you see Frank Frazetta, the, the, um, the way that he could contort his body and move his body and the ferocity, like that's, that's all him. And again, it's like the finding that truth and putting your truth into your art. But yeah, he was, um, baseball was much different back then. And there were a lot of teams and he was a Brooklyn boy and, and really didn't want to uh, travel so he was like, oh, I don't want to go down to Texas and get paid little money. So he took a, he then took a job with Al Cap as the ghost artist for Little Abner and stayed there for about eight years. Um, and then, of course, of course, after he had a falling out with um, Al Cap and 
you know, this was a big, this was a big, uh, I think like uh, a huge transition in his life after he left Alcap. And, you know, he, 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 and, and at the time didn't really see um, that he got a lot out of that because he was like, I was a ghost artist. I wasn't really, I wasn't known. He wasn't getting hired after. And he was like, I, I wasn't like creating things that were really speaking to my soul. Um, and I could have been playing baseball at that time and I could have still been doing art and then, you know, focused on art when I was 30 because he didn't, he didn't start painting until he was 30. So in his head, he always kind of like had that regret that he didn't also go and play baseball. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, he, like I said, maybe, maybe that would have changed the course of his life. Maybe not, but he stayed, he stayed very active and, and again, could be able to have balanced the two with putting that athleticism into his art. Sure. And his, his interests are all there. So the physicality is all his, he would, he would work out, he would train, whatever he was doing He's a very active guy and physically in an amazing shape, you know, for most of his life. Right. And so that all of that is in the work. And also, you know, his perspective on women was, uh, was unique. You know, it's not exactly the, the models we see in photos. They were they were natural. They had a different shape to them. And it was like, it, I think it informed a lot of different things in cinema too. I'd read that even uh, Lucas was saying that the way Princess Leia was dressed, you know, he had told his team to look at a Frazetta. Is that true? Yes, it is true. And yeah, my grandpa said without with women, I mean, he would, he would early on, he drew them pretty thin because that was just what people did in comics. And then he noticed over time, he was like, it's just not interesting without the shapes, like shapes are the most important thing. So he was like, these, these women need to be curvier and they need to have more of an, an exciting story with, with, from the shapes that I'm creating. And you know, really, I mean, his anatomy always wasn't, I mean, he knew anatomy very well, but he liked to bend it a bit. So it would be more interesting because he's like, this is, this is artwork. This is, this is the imagination. It doesn't, if I wanted to make it exact, I'll just go take a picture, but this is not a picture. This is a painting. So I'm going to bend it a bit and, and maybe leave a limb out. if It's distracting from the eye. I mean, his thing, and this applies with women, was always just about making the best the composition. And if it had to, if, if, if something had to be left out, like a thigh or, uh, he, he would do that and he would say, well, it's because it was distracting. And I want, I want the, I want my paintings to be like music. I want your eye to dance around the canvas. I want to know, I want, I want it to know where to go next. And that's the most important thing. He's like, I want it to be similar to listening to a masterpiece of uh, um, in music. See, yeah. And that's what I, and that's the, what I see in it. And I've read here and there too, that's, you know, kind of a part of his technique also was translating that he would speak to himself and it would, it would be a strategy almost. It would, it would, he was really well planned in what he was doing and well thought out. It wasn't a uh, haphazard or it didn't just fly out of him, uh, without some thought, like you were just saying, you know, he's really, really thought about how the audience was going to reflect on it. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, and that's like, I think, again, it's like he, he was, because he was so true to himself, um, but he, and he was also so sensitive. It was like, it was, I mean, he was, he was definitely, again, going back to the emotional. I mean, if someone, if someone didn't understand him, that was part of his journey as a human being, he would just be like, but I'm putting my heart and soul into this. How do you not understand it? And, and I think like at the end of his life, he was like, okay, like, I mean, some people just, aren't going to get the depths of who I am. And, you know, maybe I think they'll appreciate my art and understand me more when I'm long gone. He would always say that when I'm long gone, then they'll understand. Then the people will understand. <laughs> and I, and I think, I think he's right because I mean, I, I never, I was like, grandpa, no one's criticizing you. You're crazy. Like I would we'd have conversations when I was older and he goes, Oh, you, you better believe he's like all the critics, all the people he's like, I mean, they would say the worst things. And I actually read some interviews recently. I think they were published in um, a comics journal and it would just be these art scholars that were just like put roasting him like to the extreme of like, you know, he wouldn't go to art school. He doesn't really know what he's doing. It was all, you know, the academia, uh -huh. the yeah. academia ripping him apart. And <sighs> I'm like, wow, he did get criticized quite a bit when he was in his height, like a lot. I mean, people were very awful to him and course there was a massive fan base so that doesn't take away anything from the people who always knew Frank Frazetta was great there's 
probably many more of them. But yeah, um, those I'm, people still exist. We call them yes. trolls today. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, the tr- the, tr- the trolls of the day. But they're, they're, <laughs> they mean they're, nothing. They mean nothing. They're just well, they're just they're just uh, projecting their own insecurities or inability to create anything. Because once you start creating, you realize that it's uh, it's you're being very vulnerable. Um, so yeah, my my but my my grandfather's work now, I do see it becoming. It's just I, I don't see a lot of criti- I don't hear a lot of criticism. I don't see a lot of criticism. Um, you know, some maybe some like political comments where I'm like, well, you just you don't get it, um, or they're just trying to get attention, trolling online, like you said. But I do think he was right. I think it's it was it was he was ahead of his time. He was a pioneer, and it's just going to take time in history for people to be like, man, this guy like he he deserves more credit than ever before. Of now. course, and that's how it's going to be eternally. The are who elects themselves as an art critic? I'm sorry, you know, like go away. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, go into finance or something else. Just don't don't do that. You can be be a critic on your couch at night and 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 but otherwise stay off the internet. Too, yeah. too many people with their voices. I I agree. Everyone has a voice now. It's the, yeah, but, they're either dilettantes or morons. Yeah, no, yeah. I have no no truck for those people whatsoever. And and. Your grandfather's work, as you know, will outlast them and have, you know, a lot of them died off. That's why they, you don't hear from them anymore. And the ones that still exist, who cares? You know, I, but I know what you're talking about. It's tough when your stuff is out there, you could have a hundred people saying they love it. And then there's this one person that really wants to be heard and you don't know where they're coming from. No, you don't know. And it's, it's, it isn't really isn't our business. That's what I try to tell myself. I'm like, you know what, their opinion of me, it's really not my business or their opinion of my grandfather. I mean, I, I so wish that I could have these, these talks about human behavior with my grandfather. Now Um, I have, I have faith that I'll see him again someday in some way. Um, I don't know how, but I, 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 uh, I know he would appreciate this. So I just appreciate you so much, Christopher, diving into these, to these areas. And I do think, you know, this isn't something, this isn't a, 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 this is one of the first deep, deep conversations I've had, um, on a show. And I can't thank you enough because my, my soul feels full. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining the conversation tonight. My words can't express how much the art of Frank Frazetta has and continues to influence my own work. If you haven't already, I urge you to explore his incredible world. It'll certainly open doors in your imagination. Until next time, try to enjoy the daylight. <laughs>